Of course, our series entitled Fan into Flame, based upon 2 Timothy. The title coming from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, uh, when Paul was telling Timothy, For this very reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which was given to you by the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gives us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Last week, as we introduced this topic, we talked about how we got to remember we need to fan into flame the right flame. Okay, the flame is the spirit of God. We're not to fan into fan into flame our own emotions or fan into flame, you know, our experiences and our talents and our abilities and things like that, or even our own efforts. Fan into flame. The gift of God, and then he, he goes on to say, for the spirit that God gave us, so he identifies. That's, that's the flame that we need to really get in touch with. Now, in verse 7, he kind of goes on to that second half of that verse when he talks about the spirit God gave us does not make us timid. All right? Now, I know that I said we would talk about power, love, and self-discipline. But before we do that, we've got to really understand what Paul means by timid. Because he's contrasting those two. He says it's not going to make us timid. But it's going to give us power, love, and self-discipline. And of course, I'm going to be focusing today on not being timid, but having the power. But where does that power, well, how does it really apply? And how should we really think about it in our lives? Now, why is it important to Paul to start out with saying, hey guys, the Spirit God gives us doesn't make us timid. The word timid here means basically fearfulness. Okay? The word denotes cowardice. Not just I'm shy, but fearfulness and cowardice. It is never used in a good sense. Okay? In the Bible. So why, why did he bring this up? Did Timothy struggle with this? A lot of people think Timothy maybe struggled with this. I, I don't know. It's possible, but it doesn't seem likely. He's already had tons of of very hard situations in his life. He has been through a lot. He has already by this time gone in to deal with uh, all the issues and the turmoil in the church and the problems that were going on in Corinth. I think one of his toughest assignments was to go into the church in Ephesus, which had been established and going with an eldership and a leadership for many years. And Paul said, basically, dude, you need to go in there and change it all up. And appoint an entirely new leadership. And, and that can be a very scary thing. And of course he was with Paul through a lot of the persecutions. Physical and emotional that Paul went through. And so I'm thinking, well, was he timid? I, I don't know. And so I think, I thought about this. And I go, you know, let's just look at what Paul's talking What's the context? You know, we always say, well, what's it? We can't just grab one sentence or one word from one verse. And think we're understanding what, what, what Paul's trying to get across. So read with me. Verses 6 through 13, he says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which was given in, uh, in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gives us does not make us timid, but it gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He has saved us by calling us to a holy life, not because of anything we've done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace that was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but has now been revealed through the appearing of the Savior, Christ Jesus, 
who has destroyed death and brought to life and immortality uh, to light through the gospel. And for this gospel, I was appointed an, a herald and an apostle and a teacher. And that's why I'm suffering like I am. Yet there is no cause for shame. Because I know whom I've believed. And I'm convinced that he's able to guard what I've entrusted to him to that day. What you heard from me, keep as a pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that's been entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Now remember, our strength, our, our, our power, etc. comes from the Spirit. And as he just told us, we just read in verse 9, he comes through the Spirit because of God's own purpose and power. God's own plan, God's own grace. It's not because God's going, wow, you're awesome. I really need you in my church. Sometimes we, we think that way, don't we? Like, oh, the, it's these two guys came to church. They're awesome. We need them. God's going, are you kidding me? You're going to impress me, right? No, you need me. That's what God's saying. And so this power and this spirit come from God's own purposes and grace. And he says this spirit he goes, it doesn't make us timid. And he kind of bookends things here in his thought. I don't know if you noticed it, but I'll go over it again. Now, he says in verse 7, spirit does not make us timid, right? Then he tells us about power, love, and self-discipline. And then in verse 8, he'll say, so do not be ashamed, which is kind of the opposite of timid and fearful. Don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me as prisoner. And he goes on, he says, he tells us all of this is from God. It's been expressed and, and, and revealed in Jesus. He says, guard this message. By the way, there will be suffering when you do all of this. And then in verse 12, he's kind of wrapping up this thought as he bookends it, like I said, when he says, yet this is no cause for shame. He says, actually, on the contrary, what we've learned from Paul, okay, what you've seen, what we've learned in the scriptures, keep as sound or healthy or strong teaching. Guard the deposit that's been entrusted to you. That's that message, that teaching. We're going to guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit, who, by the way, doesn't make us timid, but is a spirit of power, love, and self-discipline. So when I look at this whole passage, and I think about the word timid, I realize he's not talking about personality traits here. He's not talking about, oh, we need to all be type A personalities for Jesus. We need to just get fired up and bold and rah, for Jesus. That's the spirit of God. And if you don't have it, what's wrong with you? That's not what Paul's trying to teach us here. It's not even about our personality. He's saying, look, guys, what we have to do... I mean, you know, I might have a, a, a natural bent for being loud and obnoxious and aggressive. Some people do, some people don't. Okay? That's not the point. It has to do with our roles as people who have been entrusted with the gospel of God. The sound teaching. The good deposit entrusted to us. That's what the words are going to hear. It has to do with our hearts. And the role in teaching the truth, defending the truth, standing up for the truth, suffering for the truth of God's will and God's word. And he says, look, I can be shy, but I'm not afraid to stand up for God. 
I can be not a type A personality, but I'm not going to be a coward about what God teaches. Now, the enemy tries to confuse us, and this was kind of one of these themes that went throughout camp in, the, in their devotional books that the kids kind of used every day for their quiet times. They had excerpts from the screw tape letters, and it was all, a lot of the theme about the camp was about there's these philosophies, there's these things going around that try to undermine your confidence in God and undermining the Word of God. And of course, the screw tape letters, you know, they, it's that fiction about how the demons get around and they make a plan. All right? So it goes on here like that, and, and, and one of these philosophies, I believe today, and whether the demons got around and planned it up or not, I don't know, but it's kind of this philosophy of the, the world perspective is, well, you got this church, you got this church, you got this church, or you have this culture, and you got this people. There's all different beliefs. There's all different things. We need to, uh, different ways. We need to be open-minded. We need to be inclusive. Everything is good. Everything is okay as long as it's sincere and great. But when I read the Bible, God's perspective is there's his truth, and then there's everything else. And that's basically God's perspective. And it's not about being enlightened. It's not about being open-minded. It's not about seeing different people and people seeing different things and not being more tolerant or anything else. It's God's truth, and then there's everything else. And what Paul points out here is those who take this stand, and that would be anyone who calls himself a true disciple of Jesus, those who take this point of view, this perspective, this, this stand, will be persecuted, will be insulted, will be labeled, they will suffer. And he's saying, the only way you're going to endure this is by the Spirit of God. The only way you're going to survive this is by the Spirit of God. If you try to do it under your power, if you try to fan into flame your own stubbornness, if you try to fan into flame, I'm just going to, nobody's telling me what to do or whatever. Eventually, I'll get worn down. Eventually, I'll get worn out. If I don't give in, at least I'll start to compromise. And Paul's telling Timothy, that's not the spirit from God. God's sound teaching, we can see here, and we're looking at it here in the Bible. God's sound teaching and those who hold to it have always been questioned, ridiculed, rejected, and persecuted. The guy who's writing this is writing it from prison because he's holding to those sound teachings. He, he's there experiencing it even as he's writing it. And he's saying, guys, don't be timid. Don't be ashamed. Don't hold back just because people don't like God's teaching." And we see this very clearly today. We see it in our society today, especially in the teachings about sexuality. And it's easy for us to become very timid or afraid to speak or talk about these things. But the truth is, anyone holding to or believing or practicing or teaching God's sound doctrine on the subject of sexuality will be questioned, ridiculed and laughed at, rejected and persecuted. It will happen. And it's hard to say, I know all of that, I'm just going to go into it anyway. I'm going to speak, that's where that, he goes, no, it's just, now remember, it's the Spirit of God. 
And false teachings on sexuality have been around for a long time. And when I say false teachings, I'm talking about right now people claiming to be Christians. People claiming to be godly and righteous. We, as a church, have been looked down upon, even labeled as false teachers or, at the very least, unloving, because we teach that sex outside of marriage is sin. We've had people that we've said, no, I don't feel like you're really ready to be baptized yet. Why? Because you're still living this way. And if you're going to be a disciple of Jesus, you need to follow what Jesus says. And they're saying, well, who cares? What? I go to this church over there. They never even bring it up. They never even talk about it. Or people who say, I've been going to church my whole life. Nobody ever told me that was sin. Because there's a timidity about talking about it. Teachings about homosexuality are starting to be challenged among many churches. And the teachings about, uh, of homosexuality are starting to be challenged in, the, in the, the, the civic world, trying to pass laws to force churches that you can't be against this. And this is happening. It's happening around the country. And you've got to say, okay, do we stand up for the truth of what the Bible says or do we not? But here's the bottom line, guys. The real issue isn't whether homosexuality is sin or not. The real issue isn't whether heterosexual sex and, and sin, uh, heterosexual sin, is, is it sin or not. The real question is, am I willing to let God be God and accept his truth as truth, and then there's everything else? That's the real issue. It's not this sin, this sin, I like this one, I don't like that. Is God going to be God or not? And that's why he's saying fan into flame the spirit. Because that's where the spirit, that's where the power comes from. It doesn't come from my, I like this sin, I don't like that sin, this, this, this. It comes from God. And trust me, God's not intimidated in the least about the world's opinion of his convictions. Okay? But that's where the power is. Well, let's see what God says about sexuality. Now, there's a lot of different passages about this. But there's one that kind of hits both the biggies of the heterosexual sin and the homosexual sin. And that's in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And he breaks things down in a very succinct way here in, in, in verses 9 and following. He says, or do you not know that wrongdoers... Now, he, let's stop right there. The, the word wrongdoers, I, I looked this up. Basically, he talks about the unrighteous, those who do not do things God's way. Okay, that's what that word means. And he goes, don't be, he said, don't you know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? And then he says, do not be deceived. Why does he say that? Well, because we can all get together and let's debate on what really is a wrongdoer and what's not. And I don't know about you, but I know how I am. If I'm involved in it, I'm pretty motivated to figure out an argument why what I'm doing is not a wrongdoer. Okay, and I can figure something out on that one. So Paul says, look, look, wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is an in or out type subject Paul's talking about. Don't be deceived. So I'm going to I'm going to expound on what I mean by this. Don't be deceived, he says. So he goes on. Neither the sexually immoral. So I stopped there. I said, OK, well, what is that? What is the definition of sexually immoral? Because that's another thing, right? Well, let's define what that means. 
Usually it's probably not what I'm doing. That's what a lot of people think, because we don't want to think that. But basically, it's any sexual activity outside of what God created sex for in the first place. That's what it is. It's, it's a big umbrella term. All right? It's, it's for all the sexual activity that's outside what God designed and ordained sex to be for. And he said, look, I ordained it for a man and a woman who are married. Why? Well, I mean, there's the whole procreation thing, and that's true, but then there's so much more. And if you think about it, even that physical relationship, it's the only thing in the world that is completely exclusive to a husband and wife. I mean, even praying together, you do with other people. Um, even nudity, okay, we don't like it, but we do it in front of our doctor. Okay? But the sexuality, that's the only thing that is completely exclusive. And it goes so much beyond the physical, it becomes an emotional, relational, experiential connection. And God says, I, I created it for this. And all of this other stuff corrupts it and cheapens it and makes it something much less than what I wanted it for. And so he goes, look. That's why God created it. When I go outside of that and go beyond that in any way, will not inherit the kingdom of God. And he goes on. Nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men. Okay, that word again. I looked that one up. That's the big hot button these days. That's basically homosexuals. That's what the word means. And then he goes on. He says, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. It's pretty plain. He's pretty straightforward there. And this is the New Testament, right? This isn't the Old Testament when God was just mad at everybody, right? You know what I mean by that? Lord, I was speaking sarcastically on that one. But... No, no, this is the New Testament where God's supposed to be all full of grace and everything's supposed to be okay. But this is what it says. And then in verse 11, he goes, and that's what some of you were. But you were washed, sanctified, you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Therefore, in order to inherit the kingdom of God, you must be washed, you must be sanctified, you must be justified in the name of Jesus. And it doesn't take a whole lot of study of the rest of the Bible to learn that in order for that to happen, you've got to obey the sound doctrine of what God was teaching about Jesus and through Jesus. Then when you do that, you're going to have to repent and you're going to have to live the life God calls us to. Now here's the hard part. This is a very easy teaching here today in this room. Where it gets tough is when you go out into school. When you go to work. And when you get out in the community. And then you hear people on the television. And you hear this and that. That's where it becomes hard. That's when we start to get intimidated. That's where we start to get timid and ashamed and embarrassed and, and, and hold back or keep silent. But Paul's reminding us, guys, this is not about you. This is the Spirit of God and the power is not in even you holding these convictions. The power is in the Spirit of God that has these convictions. It's God's teachings. It's God's power. And it's God's authority. Several years ago, I made some choices. I decided there was an originator. 
a creator of all things. His name was God, Jehovah, or Yahweh. I decided too, this God, this Jehovah, this Yahweh has an opinion. Okay? Number three, that that opinion is found in his inerrant word, which is what we call the Bible. Therefore, I'm going to live my life by what the Bible says. I choose that. Now, this is the very foundational point of what we're all talking about here. The reason he says don't be timid. Why? Because God's not timid. That's where the power is. The spirit he gave us is not timid. I can be timid, but that spirit ain't. And that's what it says. It has nothing to do with my personal opinion of people or what they do or don't do. I didn't choose God because he already agrees with what I agree with anyway. You understand what I'm saying? I didn't say, well, that's not the God I believe. I don't see things that way. So I don't choose that God. I want to find one that sees things the way I already see. I didn't choose it that way. There's a God that created everything. And if he has an opinion, I'm going with that opinion. Even if I don't agree with it on an emotional level, I go with that opinion. And there's things I, I, I realize, and that's why I call sin in my life, is when I decide to do my opinion instead of God's opinion. We always say, well, of course it's always God's way. No, it's not. You're not perfect. You choose your own way. But that basic choice is, is when I do find myself doing that, I got to repent. I got to change. I got to get back on God's way. I choose that. I choose God and then I adapt to him. I don't choose God because his teachings make me happy. I choose God. And then I adapt to whatever he is. Now, if a person chooses not to follow God's plan, if a person chooses not to follow God's sound teaching, healthy teaching, the Bible says, we can communicate to them. There, may be, there will be consequences and repercussions. Okay, there will be some of those things. Someone may try to, I choose God, but I like to choose what God says, uh, you know, and, and, and his sound doctrine on love and forgiveness, but not on morality. I don't believe in that part. I might have to explain to them, you know what? I think they're inseparably linked. You don't get to pick and choose what God wants. If a person wants to change what it says, well, that's not what it really means. Basically, sex is okay as long as it's in a loving, committed relationship. Then it's okay. Well, first of all, that's not what it says. But second of all, let's just try to adapt that to some of the other things in that list. Let's try that, that logic. How about adultery is okay as long as the people having adultery are in a true, loving, committed relationship. Then it's okay. Would we think that? Would we teach that? Thieves or swindlers, it's okay as long as they're doing it for a good reason or they really love their life and they need to steal that stuff in order to take care of their life. So they're really sincere in doing that. Now we're getting ridiculous. The truth is, we've been ridiculous all along. If we're thinking, well, no, it's just as long as you're sincere and loving, it's okay. But these are not, that's not the sound doctrine. That's the doctrine of somebody who's timid and fearful and saying, ah, I, gotta, I, 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 I don't like, 
I, I got to change because of what's going on around me. If people choose to do that, that's their choice. Now we're going to get into the next couple week about if they choose that, I still need to love them. I still need to respect them. I still need to get along with them and live with them, coexist, as the bumper sticker says. Phyllis was saying the other day, how are we not going to coexist, for crying out loud? We live in, you know, <laughs> yeah, you know, we still need to have a loving, respecting attitude like Jesus, but that doesn't make it right. That doesn't make the activity holy and acceptable to God. It's not a personal thing. Your life, you've got to go with either God or not God. We should not be ashamed of God or his convictions. Because God is not ashamed of his convictions. And Paul reiterates this throughout this letter. This theme goes over and over and over in this, this message. Don't be ashamed. Don't be intimidated. Stay strong with God's word. Now I want you to, I'm going to read several passages as we kind of walk through 2 Timothy here. And I want to listen to, I want you to listen to them, keeping in mind this context, don't be timid, don't be ashamed. Hard times are coming for those who stand up, but we got to do what we got to do. Look at that, he starts off, uh, 2 Timothy 1.16, he wishes blessings on this guy named Onesiphorus because he was not ashamed of my chains. In chapter 2, verse 1, he tells him, you then, my son, be strong in the grace and in Christ Jesus. Be strong. In verse 9 of that chapter, he says, this is my gospel for which I am suffering. I'm suffering because of the message is what he's saying. Even to the point of being chained like a criminal, but God's word is not chained. Verse 15 of that same chapter, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. In chapter 3, verse 1, he starts off, he said, Mark this, guys. There will be terrible times in the last day. Peoples will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. They have a form of godliness. It looks good sometimes on the outside, but they deny its power. Have nothing to do with such people. He continues on in verse 12 of chapter 3. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, he says. While evil do doers and imposters, they're going to go from bad to worse, Deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of. Because you know those from whom you have learned it. And how from infancy you have known what? The holy scriptures. Which have, are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Because all scriptures God breathed. And it's useful for teaching, rebuking correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good word. Chapter 4, verse 3. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine, that healthy teaching. Instead, to suit their own desires, they're going to gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itchy ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, keep your head in all situations. Endure the hardship, do the work of an evangelist, 
to charge, discharge all the duties uh, of your ministry. And then chapter 4, verses 16 and 17, 17, he says, Look, at my first defense, no one came to my support, but everybody deserted me. May it not be held against them. But the Lord stood by my side, and he gave me strength, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed to the Gentiles, and so that the Gentiles might hear it. You see how the whole thing's tied to it? The message. Don't be ashamed. Hold to it. The persecution will come. People will reject it. Stick with it. Don't get intimidated. Don't get scared. Don't hold back. The message. It's not about you. It's about the message. And I know I said we'll talk about the power, love, and self-discipline and all that, but we've got to lay this foundation first because this is... This is what the power and the love and the self-discipline are based on. It's understanding the message and the powers from the Spirit. And he says there will be persecution. If this happens, it will. I think I've shared before you about, about Jeannie Brock, a woman who, I mean, this is like 35 years ago or so uh, in a church, and we were talking about persecutions and reading this, and she goes, I've been a Christian 30 years. I've never been persecuted. And you wonder, are we really standing up for the truth? Because you know good and well, if you stand up for the truth, particularly in sexual issues at work, it's going to come down. Or in school, it's going to come down. Now, I'm not saying go out and be obnoxious. But I'm saying we've got to stand up for the truth. That spirit that God gave us, he ain't timid. We don't need to be timid. And it's not just about our bold personality. Stand up for yourself. No, stand up for your rights. It's not about having power, love, and self-discipline for our own personality, for our own purposes. It's not about self-improvement. Give yourself a type A personality. I'll tell you the truth. I got that. Okay? What it's about is standing up for God in the midst of the opposition. It's about God's power, not my strength. It's about being bold for God, defending His will, defending His way, proclaiming His call. And if I have to sacrifice myself to do that, then okay. If I have to sacrifice my rights to do that, then okay. That's fine, because I chose God, and the Spirit He gave me is not a timid one. So I can't be timid with it. To God be the glory, the spirit he gave me does not make us timid. It is a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. Join us next week as we talk about the love and self-discipline that have to go with this power. Because sometimes our own selfishness gets in there and we get the power with obnoxiousness and rudeness and that's not the spirit of God either. So we're going to talk about power and love and self-discipline. Amen.